This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to uh, the Mike Missanelli Podcast. The day after the Sixers lost to the Celtics, and we did a quick one last night following the game. We're doing this one Thursday, May 4th, podcast number 77. It's brought to you by Bet Rivers. A little later, we're going to discuss this game and the series with a man who covers the Sixers for the Philly voice. Kyle Newbeck does a great job for them and uh, uh also uh in, in mike unleashed uh, the tale of uh people dumping pasta i don't know what's going on we have to investigate apparently there's 500 pounds of pasta are being dumped in the jersey woods so we'll get to the bottom of that uh that saucy story let's see what i did there but this is Ga- this is gallows humor however as we start the podcast because we got to talk about what the Sixers lost last Don't night. Look at me. Does the Sixers end the series? All right, they get dropped one twenty-one to eighty-seven. Let, let's look at the good and the bad uh, with it. First of all, uh, the good is they they get a little rust off of Embiid, and also he has the benefit of only playing twenty-seven minutes, so they didn't have to spill his bucket last night to try to win a game, which should preserve him a little bit for the all-important game three. Um, the bad is that the Celtics reawakened last night after not looking very good in game one defensively. They made all kinds of shots, and they got to the basket all the time. Um, they, they didn't close out the Sixers in game one. It was an embarrassing loss for them, and this would get them back off the mat. They got a little re-energized with the things they do. They do shoot the three well. They do get good spacing. They do play good defense, and last night uh, all of that was prevalent, and they did this romp. Without a great game from, um, or even a mediocre game from Jason Tatum, who looked out of source last night, he got into foul trouble. He's bitching and moaning about calls, but uh, his counterpart, uh, Batman and Robin, I think they're both Batman. I love Jalen Brown. He stepped up last night, made a lot of shots early uh, to awaken uh, the uh, Celtics. And also, I thought the Sixers' defense is geared to stop Jason Tatum, and I, I don't think that that's going to that's going to stop. So when you're geared defensively. And they did it with P.J. Tucker mostly trying to bully him. Uh, and they'll probably do the same thing. And, you know, Jalen Brown got a little more freedom. But but everybody they played in that game, including Derek White, who played really well. And then Brogdon off the bench played well for the Celtics. They were a plus 
42 on their three-point efforts. They shot 51 threes and outpointed the Sixers with the three-point shot by 42 points. Uh, all right, so so let's look at Embiid. He had a lot of energy on the defensive end because it's a little easier for him. He's walking around with a sprained knee with a brace. It's a little easier for him to, on defense because he can lurk. He can lurk, and he doesn't have to move a lot when he's defense, except for weak side blocks, and he made a lot of blocks last night. Offensively, it takes a lot more effort to get your legs involved. And uh, the Sixers, when when they get Embiid involved, get Embiid involved in a couple of ways, mainly with the pick and roll with Harden. Uh, and he didn't seem to be willing to do that last night. Uh, and I don't think he felt confident enough or healthy enough to get his legs under him, to get the dash to the basket after a pick and roll. I think he favored himself a little bit on offense. And uh, in, in a low block or even a semi-low post position where he was isolated with, uh, with Al Horford, he, he wasn't really active there. And, and, and it's logical. Listen, you got to have – Energy in your legs to, to work off a pick and roll. You have to have energy in your legs to develop a base when you're trying to post up somebody. So I thought he was a little wary of that. I thought the coaching staff was a little wary. They weren't going to force feed him on those kind of offensive plays. They just wanted to kind of break through here. And, and it's you can do that kind of thing when you're ahead a game in the series. So they didn't lose anything last night. They lost the game and they got romped. And you worry about the Celtics regaining confidence now. But they still stole a game in Boston. This series is 1-1, which means it comes down to what happens on, on Friday night. Uh, they have to win that game, and they have to win it for a number of reasons. The first is they're going to have a, an electric crowd. That place is going to be nuts, and that should really carry them a little bit emotionally in that game. And Embiid's going to get the MVP award before the game. It's going to jack everybody up. They should be playing with a little confidence. Um, and, and the other thing is you can't lose game three because you can't put yourself in a position where you're always catching up. Once a team takes the lead and you're, you're playing from behind now and you're climbing uphill to get the series even, it, it takes a lot out of you. The Sixers don't have the firepower right now to do it. Now, can we expect Embiid to be a 35-point scorer right now? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. We know when Embiid's on the floor, Harden's not going to be a 45-point scorer. In fact, last night, I thought Harden was a little wrung out from that 45-point effort, um, and it wasn't just because Embiid was on the floor. He didn't really look energized offensively in that game. So when you're not getting points from those guys, who are you getting points from? You would think Maxi. Maxi comes in spurts. You know, last night he looked okay, and then he disappears a little bit. And, you know, he he wound up with, what, 16 points last night or 14 points, something like that? Tobias Harris, the same kind of thing. You know, he'll make some shots, but the, he won't give you the 25 that you need on a particular night. Melton looked wrung out last night coming off the bench. He didn't give them anything. And meanwhile, you look at the Celtics, and they're bringing guys off the bench. You're making great contributions. Brogdon with 23. Grant Williams was making three-pointers. Robert Williams was uh, a key contributor for them defensively, and he made a couple of buckets. The Celtics are a deeper team, which is why the Sixers really have to focus on stealing that game. Well, probably not stealing it, but playing their best basketball to win that game. They take a 2-1 series lead, and then you can maybe afford to to lose a game four. uh, But then if you lose a game four, Boston's coming off a win as they go back home. So the bottom line is you got to win one of those two games at home. They're not going to win both games. And uh, I would think that their advantage would be in game three with this rabid crowd seeing them. And if they don't win that game, 
they they probably could win Sunday, and then you go back to Boston, and uh, all the all important game five happens. So uh, I don't know. You watch the game, and you kind of thought that they were. I didn't think that the Sixers were going to win that game last night. I didn't think they were going to get housed. Uh, and, and I thought that Embiid's defensive presence was going to have an effect on Boston. It didn't have an effect on Boston because they made three pointers. Uh, and so, uh, they're back in the series tied one to one. And, uh, well, Darren, you saw what you saw last night, like every, every Sixer fan, uh, and, and you really, the game was over in the third quarter. Boston had that spurt and then you could kind of go to bed at that point because that's when, uh, uh the, the scrubbinis are coming in and Mike Muscala. Uh, in the game last night is an indication that uh, Peyton, <laughs> Peyton Pritchard is, is I, you know, he's not a bad player. I like, I like the way he plays, but they got Cornette in there. And it was like, all right, any Caucasian <laughs> that's at the end of our bench, get in. Uh, and that's the way it worked last night. They let the guy who sells popcorn at section two eleven uh, take a few minutes at the end of that game. Boston did. They had Cork uh, gets dusted off last night. Shake Milton, who I, you know, I, Shake Milton can get you buckets, and 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 Doc Rivers with his relationship with Shake Milton is really strange to me. He just just forgets about the guy, and yeah, no, you're not good enough. You can't play for me. It seems to be like an extreme amount of tough love with him for no reason whatsoever. Uh, yeah, but the, the tough love means he's invisible. He's not playing. So I, I what's tough love about it? The tough love is you put him back in a game and lecture him and tell him how to play. You don't forget about him, but. He he wound up getting in the game at the end last night, and I, here's I don't get this Jaden Springer guy. You know they've been this guy has been they've been nurturing this guy back and forth for the Delaware Bluecoats this and that. He was a number one draft pick at one point. What what, he, what, what is he like? I you know I you get nothing out of that guy. So what, what's the point of him? You, you know you're afraid to play him. So what's the point? I don't see anything in him either. And I think they went into last night. We talked about this last night. They went into last night thinking there's going to be some offensive rust with Embiid. Let's get it out of the way tonight. Let's get him, get his sea legs, get him moving, uh, which I think is the only silver lining of last night. He looked good at the defensive end, and he got maybe some cobwebs out on the offensive end. Yeah, and and, and here's the – can we expect that he can score 35? Can we expect that he will be engaged – offensively with the pick and roll and, and, and the post moves. And, uh, you know, he didn't really shoot any threes. I think he shot two threes last night. But, you know, they're, if you're not getting offense from Embiid and Harden's going to cool down, uh, who picks you up? You know, that's the key for, for the Sixers. They need somebody else to pick them up offensively and add to the total. They've got to outscore a team that's going to make three-point shots. They, they're going to have to score with them. And, and they didn't do that last night. But – Again, the good is the Russ is off Embiid. The good is that he didn't have to play the, the fourth quarter in stressful moments. They were able to preserve his minutes. And the good is it's a washaway game. I don't know if you know if you if you, you care about the, the result of this game. You you, you watch film, and uh, even my dog is not happy uh, with last night's effort. My dog is barking now uh, as she hears me talking about the Sixers. Uh, uh, but. Uh, you, you watch the film and you see what you did wrong defensively and all that stuff and how you allowed all kinds of three-point shots, but for the most part, you forget about it and you start all over. Uh, and they'll start all over Friday night uh, with, with, a, with a big game, with, which I think is a, is a must-win. And if they don't win it, uh, obviously the next game becomes a must-win, but now you're trailing in the series and you're climbing uphill and the Boston Celtics go home. Uh, if you uh, win Sunday, they're coming home off a loss. They usually bounce back pretty well uh, – uh, off a loss. So, so right now, 
can the Sixers still win the series? Yeah, they they still can win the series. And, and it all depends on what Embiid's going to be able to give them offensively. And we won't know that until the series goes along. If we see Embiid not scoring again and, and, and being a, a, a you know not the, the Embiid that we know about on Friday, and then we're going to start to worry about it. And then I, I think that the Celtics could actually win this in rapid time in, in six uh, six games. All right. Um, let's talk about uh, the fight and fills here in the current, which is what we call the top section of the Mike Missinelli podcast. Um, the Phillies gave up 36 runs in a three-game series against the Dodgers. They had been rolling along, and they get to L.A., and bang, they, they lose 10-6 to six, uh, on 13-4 uh, uh, on Monday with Taiwan Walker. They lose 13-1 to one with Strom having a, a bad outing. And then they, they lose a game that Nola uh, uh, seemed to be uh, pitching well in, um, and their bullpen lets them down. So they lose 13-4, 13-1, to and 10-6 to six, uh, in, in this three-game series. The, it's the return of Bryce Harper. Uh, he comes back on a Tuesday. He goes 0 for 4 on a Tuesday with three punch outs, but then comes back to yesterday and gets on base five times. Three hits and two walks, uh, and he slid a couple of times. Uh, this is interesting about him sliding because I, I was listening to the commentators on the game yesterday. He's got to slide feet first now because of that uh, brace on his arm, and we'll get to that brace a little later in the game because he, he, he wasn't wearing it when he got on the base because he couldn't put it on in time with his pitch clock. But he has had to relearn to slide. Now, I, I'm sure he slid feet first at one point. The, the natural inclination when you're sliding is that you slide on your right ass cheek and, and, your, and your left foot is the one that swings in the air. That's the way I always slid. And I assume that's the way Bryce Harper used to slide when he slid feet first. And uh, now most of them go head first to relearn to switch cheeks on a slide is a lot harder than you may think. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize that. I don't think, but it, it is pretty difficult. Try to think of it this way, right? If you're left-handed, now try and do anything with your right hand. Or if you're left-footed, try and do something with your right foot. It, sliding is different. It's not kicking. It's not, it's not anything with your arm or, you, or your leg per se, but it is your offside. And do, trying to learn it on, uh, on the other side of your body that you've done your entire life is, is a challenge. Yeah, it's, re it's really tough. So, so late in the game, uh, what, what happens is that uh, – he, he gets on first base, and uh, they try to put the brace on him uh, on his right arm to protect from the surgery with Tommy John surgery, and they can't get it on. And uh, so Castellanos calls a timeout to give him a little more time, and then he still can't get it on. So he throws it away. Um, now, I, I don't know what the protocol is going to be, and there probably shouldn't be a special protocol for guys to slow the game down so he can put on – um, uh, a brace, right? Uh, but you know, you're saying, okay, this is one of the best players in the game. It's just like in basketball, Michael Jordan got the benefit of the calls. Uh, should he get the benefit of time to put uh, on uh, his uh, brace? Uh, wh what say you, Derek? Uh, you know, I think it's got to be on, the onus has got to be on the player to, to know what's coming ahead in the game, to know that you're going to need some extra added time to get things done before the, before the case. It's, it, the players are going to have to be proactive. Every player in baseball is dealing with these new rules. Every player, not some, not the bad ones, not the good ones. Every one of them, every team. So, you know, and this isn't the first week of the season yet or anymore. The season's a month old. They, they, it's, it, the onus has got to be on the player. 
You can't. I know. And I love Harper. And I love what he brings to the team. And I love what he means to the city. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if if you should allow a guy to put a special brace on when you're uh, on first base. Uh, I think they allow all these braces when you go to bat that you have on. You, you already have those on. And I don't know if they want to stop the game, even though uh, it's it's Bryce Harper. So um, it's I don't know why he had trouble. He, he was putting it on quickly in every other situation. I think he just panicked. At that point, thinking that uh, oh the game's on, I, I, so he so he threw it away. But that's a dangerous situation, and um, it's something he clearly is going to have to work on. You know, in his off time, getting that thing on and off quickly. Yeah, he wound up sliding without the brace, I think, if I, if I recall. I believe he did, and he uh, slid on his left ass. He almost kind of stood up on the base when he did that, like he slid yeah. left side. All right, so uh, you know that's uh, obviously a uh, uh, concern. There, yeah, there's a lot. Of, Sosa made a, a bad play last night, and. Right away, you read on Twitter. Well, Bob's got to go back to third base. You got to play. You got to play Harper first. Harper can't play, folks. Harper can't throw yet. All right, he can't play first base yet. He's well because you're playing first base. You don't have to throw. You're going to have to throw a double play, ground ball, a play at the plate. You're going to have to throw the ball. He can't throw. So I don't know if they have any other choice right now, but uh, Sosa is a, pr- a pretty good fielder, and uh, uncharacteristically, he has five errors already this year. So I don't know what's going on with him. But but anyway, the Phillies right now, they're starting pitching it, when it looks like Wheeler and Nola are okay, and you never know about Nola because he's okay one day and he's not okay the next. The depth of starting staff is not there. Taiwan Walker has not been good. Strom was good, but you knew that was a temp. And Bailey Falter is just Bailey Falter. So, Ranger Suarez has to get back in the rotation. Uh, and then I, I really don't know what they're going to do because Painter's not ready to throw uh, at all. Uh, so, but, but see, the bullpen let him down yesterday. And, and Craig Kimbrell is worrying me a little bit. Uh, Kimbrell's got a 6.25 ERA. They, they don't seem to have a role for him. He's not the same Craig Kimbrell. Uh, and Dominguez has been up and down. His ERA is at 5.54. Uh, Alvarado's been good, but yesterday he gave it up. So, uh, again, this is early in the season for the Phillies. We've got more pressing things to worry about uh, with the 76ers. So, uh, let's get it back to the Sixers. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, our next guest on the Mike Vincelli podcast, very important guest, covered the game last night, covered the Sixers all year, the Sixers beat writer for the Philly Voice, who does a fantastic job, by the way. I've been uh, blown away by uh, the acumen of, uh, of my man Kyle Newbeck on the Sixers beat this year. Kyle, how you doing? I'm hanging in, Mike, just uh, <laughs> recovering from that beat down, as I'm sure the Sixers are right now. Yeah, so let's let's get right into it. And I, and I was reading t- your piece today and uh, the, the the highlights that you go over, and you go, no need to panic yet, which is an interesting uh, comment. And why would you panic 1-1? But, but here's the thing. Um, I believe they have to win game three. And to win that, Joel Embiid is going to have to be a, an offensive force. Uh, from what you saw last night, and listen, there was no need, to, uh, there was no reason not to play him. He had to knock some rust off, but but he he wasn't as assertive on offense because I, I think he was thinking about the leg. So what what do you see from this point on from him offensively? Yeah, so I, I think I was encouraged at least by how he looked physically. I thought he moved better than maybe I expected, but. You could tell he was a guy that watched game one and saw, hey, look, this is how things are running without me. 
offense is doing well. James especially doing well, scoring 45 points. And it almost felt like he didn't want to step on anybody's toes. And that to me, as the guy who's the front line star of the team, the guy who the offense runs through, that's just not going to cut it because he comes back and all these other guys are going to defer to him. And so he's got to set the tone physically, mentally, in every way possible. Um, I, I did think his floor spots were a big problem. You know, historically, Boston has really screwed him up with double teams in the posts and things like that. And he's moved further out to the elbows to combat that. And, and I thought that regressed a little bit last night. So some of that is probably what Boston's doing in terms of coverages and matchups. But overall, physically, I thought he looked okay. And considering what he said after the game, where he essentially said, look, this is probably more of a, a four to six week injury that I'm supposed to be out for. And he's back after, you know, essentially two weeks. I think the physical part is good and it's more the execution, the mental side that he's going to have to get right between games two and three. Uh, the pick and roll game wasn't uh, prevalent uh, that much last night. Now, is that because of what Boston was doing or, or do you think that he, he, he didn't feel spry enough to make those dashes to the basket or, or even spry enough when he had ISOs on uh, Al Horford to, to take him to the basket? What, what did you see there? I think there's a little bit of both of those things going on. You know, Boston did shuffle the matchups around a little bit. And so, you know, there were times in that game where Marcus Smart was essentially covering Joel and then they're using Al Horford to hover off of P.J. Tucker as – effectively as a double team throughout the game or as like a a last line of defense behind smart. And so they're just showing him multiple guys, but not a double team in the sense that that Brooklyn was just hard doubling him on the ball the whole time. So that's something they're probably going to have to clean up with, you know, how they're running things, who's on the floor, quite frankly, like PJ is going to have to take shots. He had some open shots. He passed up that that's going to be a problem if he doesn't start getting rolling as a shooter. And then I, I agree with you. I do think there's probably some physical hesitance at times. Like Joel at his best is that bull in a China shop, running guys over. He's the aggressor physically. Sometimes you have to live with offensive fouls and things like that because of that. And I think we need to see more of that from him. Like now that he has his legs under him, he knows how it feels to go through a full game. Obviously, we'll see if there's any swelling, any kind of injury or injury worsening that happens here, but he's got to get back to that physical, aggressive mentality. He does, because if he doesn't, where are they going to get the points? It's unrealistic to count that uh, on Harden scoring like like he's scoring. So role players become very important, and you made a note in your story today about the lack of role players that the Sixers had that contributed offensively. Maxie was okay. Tobias Harris was okay. They got really nothing off the bench. Anthony Melton wasn't there last night and meanwhile Boston uh, got all kinds of contributions from role players uh is that going to change or like they seem to be a little discombobulated with getting uh, secondary points from guys so I would say typically that changes when you get home right like historically you have to rely more on your stars to win road games at home is where you get you know bench shooters like George and Yang are going to have a better time of it Maybe Jalen McDaniels, who's, you know, this is his first playoff series or playoff run, I should say, ever. Maybe he's just more comfortable in a a friendly environment. Certainly the energy that's going to come with Joel getting the MVP trophy, the home crowd, sensing this moment where, you know, they could win two games and be up 3-1 in this series, heading back to Boston. 
maybe that picks up the role players a bit. But like, let's be honest here. Boston has better role players than the Sixers. Malcolm Brogdon, guy coming off the bench, better than anybody coming off of Philadelphia's bench. Derek White, very good bench player. Robert Williams III has been, you know, a starter for a lot of the year. Now he's coming in off the bench. He can make a defensive impact, certainly is a lob threat whenever the Sixers play small. So Boston has the better depth guys, the better role guys. So the Sixers are going to have to win using, you know, Joel, James, Tyrese, a little bit of Tobias as their main guys, and really just hope that they get one or two guys that step up over the course of this series. Uh, the good part of this is that this is a game you just go, uh, we wipe it away. I mean, they they demolished us, and, and we can't even think about it. Uh, the bad news is the Celtics reawakened a little bit. I mean, they 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 have been very inconsistent, and they they didn't finish in game one, and now all of a sudden they, they go around and they're making all kinds of three-point shots, which is kind of contagious. Uh, so what did that do for the Celtics last night? Or are they just the same hit or miss team that we've seen all year? I think it's more of the latter. Like I, I think the Sixers and Celtics are very similar in a way where when they're mentally locked in, you can see them throw these absolute haymakers where you're like just in awe of how good they are on both ends of the floor. But we saw it in the Atlanta series prior to this one. They can check out for you know quarters at a time, games at a time, and you never really know when that's going to happen. And you know it's just a weird seesaw in this series because both of these teams have this great elite top end talent, and then the floor can just drop out at times, and you're like, where the hell did that team go that I just watched play? Even in the first half, let alone previous game, previous series, whatever it is. So you know you'd like to think if you're Boston hey, this is going to carry over. We got the momentum. We got this. But you really never know with these two teams. All right, so uh, I, I don't know. Is is game three, with all this fanfare they haven't played there in, in like 12 days, um, is this the game they need to get? Or, or can they lose game three, come back and win game four? And, and in that case, you're kind of trailing a series and you're always climbing uphill. I'm of the mindset they got to win both of these at home. Like the whole reason you celebrate winning game one on the road is because you've taken home court advantage from the Celtics. You can say, we don't need to win a road game the rest of the series. We take care of business on our home floor. Series is over. We're going to the conference finals. That's the value of that game one win. If you give that back in game three or game four, or you know, God forbid you lose both, that 45-point performance from Harden means nothing. Stealing one on the road means nothing. You're back to square one, and it's you know it tilts toward Boston's favor. They're the team with home court. They're the team with the better record all year, the better depth, as we've discussed. And that's you cannot give that back. This has to be as urgent as Boston looked in game two. You have to match that level of desperation in game three and game four if you're the So Sixers. if they don't win, if they split, you're not feeling that good about the series. You essentially have to win two out of three and two out of three where Boston's going to have potentially two games at home unless you somehow win game five and then close it out in six. Like I, That was the big reason I thought they needed to get one to open the series because Boston comes into Philly up 2-0. Then you have to win four out of five, and you're only getting a few home games out of that. So I, I just – I don't think there's any real margin for error in this series because, you know, if Joel is at full health, then we can say a superstar is just going to win you one of these games. Yeah, that's all well and good. I'd feel okay if they come out of here with a split. It's 2-2. You take your chances that the guy who's the MVP of the league can go out and 
just get one because he's that guy. But unfortunately, because he's compromised and we're having this same conversation that we seem to have every year, it's hard to feel confident that they can gut check win late in the series without the ability to throw him the ball in the final five minutes and say, carry us home, big guy. Well, how are they going to be able to win two straight with him in that condition? <laughs> That's, I mean, it's a great question. I, I do think, as I said, I think the role players will play better at home. Uh, I think there'll be some small but important adjustments they'll make schematically to get Joel the ball at his spots. Like Again, I don't think he was assertive enough when he did have the ball, too, as you touched on. I, I think Joel is going to see on the tape there were opportunities to attack Al Horford, to attack Marcus Smart. And look, none of these guys are going to be mad at him. The best player in the on their team and in the league in the regular season winning the MVP award for calling his own number and, and going one-on-one against guys. Like He has to come into this game in this series with the mindset that, yeah, I am that guy. I've been that guy for this team all year. I know that my knee's not feeling great, but he can move well enough. He can shoot over guys. He can be a threat as a roller in the pick and roll. He can do all these things that nobody else on the floor can match him in terms of the combination of skill and physicality. And that's all you want to see from him. If if they go out and they lose and he's still Joel Embiid, as we've come to know him over the years, that's fine. You can say like, they're the better team. They're a deeper team, whatever. If they go out because Joel is this, you know, passive, unassertive guy and James Harden floats through these games and they're just getting beat in the three-point battle, like that's not acceptable. We're talking to Kyle Newbeck, covers the Sixers for the Philly Voice. Kyle, before I get back to the ultimate basketball question about the Sixers, I want to talk a little bit about your background and how you got to, to this point in your career. You're a young guy who's a beat writer, which is a pretty uh, uh, successful climb. Uh, how did you start to climb and how did it progress? Uh, that's, I'm trying to give you the short version of it. I started, I was originally going to be a teacher. I went to, uh, to Westchester university for all who are familiar with that. Cause that was just, you know, affordable state school. You're going to teach, you figure out pretty late in the process. Um, you know, I don't know if this teaching thing is for me and, uh, I, you know, liked working with kids and helping people grow and all that kind of stuff. But all the other nonsense that comes with it was not a, a giant fan of it. So made the decision to change majors very late in the game. I took all kinds of internships, working in radio, magazines, anywhere that would give me an opportunity to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. I've never had a problem expressing my opinion, which is, I guess, how I uh, end up in a business like this. Uh, I was blogging at various places over the years working in behind the scenes production type stuff and radio. And, you know, one thing leads to another, you make enough connections and you get a recommendation when a job opens up at Philly voice. And, you know, now I've been there for, I believe this is year number six there. So it was Ben Simmons's rookie year is first year. I was full time on the beat. Now I was writing about the Sixers for long before that, when they were winning, you know, 10 games and we were watching Tim Frazier and Casper Ware and, you know, name all these other James Nunnally, all these random guys that, that passed through the team over the years. Henry, Henry Sims. Oh Not man. Henry. Mean, the, yeah. Look, it's, it's funny. It's funny watching all the guys who came through and actually, you know, carved out careers elsewhere. That was a pretty, 
just surreal experience going through that whole process. But yeah, when I actually, when I started at Philly Voice, I think the idea was more, I was going to do more of a hybrid 50-50 Sixers-Eagles type deal because, you know, obviously Eagles are the number one game in town, football is king, all that. But because I have this basketball background that I had been, you know, in the trenches, so to speak, during the process years, I had built sort of a, a cult following on the basketball side. And, you know, now that I've had this opportunity to just focus on this full time day to day, that grew and grew and grew. And so now it's just mostly Sixers with a, a light splash of Eagles on the side. Uh, it, it, it's really a, a, a pretty good lesson for, for people breaking into the industry, because uh, I assume when you were doing the smaller stuff, you weren't being compensated like uh, you would have liked to have been. And so it's a grind to keep doing it a lot. And a lot of kids give it up for that reason. And then, you know, they go into other ventures where they can make some money. But if you're dedicated to the craft, you just keep plugging at it and something better happens, right? Is that what your mindset was? Yeah. And look, there were a lot of things where it was either light compensation or no comp, whatever it was, but you have to figure out, all right, how do I make money on this and do it in a way that I'm not like wasting my time that I need to be spending getting better at my craft. So there were places that I essentially was just like a, a pure news writer for covering like pop culture and different things, things that I would not have wanted to write about in a million years. So I think the old school way of doing that is, you know, you come up through a newspaper in a small town and you're covering like high school sports and, and talking to this teenager in a cornfield in Iowa or whatever. And, and instead for me, I'm working for, you know, digital publications that they're covering, like what the hell are the Kardashians doing and things like that. Like things that I, I wouldn't think about or care about in a million years, but it's the same sort of, you know, rep building, right. You're covering something for, the news aspect of it. And you're trying to turn that into something that's in my case, I try to make those things humorous and enjoyable to read, even though I clearly did not give a damn about, you know, what Kendall Jenner was doing today. And so, <laughs> you know, doing things like that on top of the more of the labor of love stuff where you're writing about basketball and you're writing about things that you're passionate about, that you feel like you have some knowledge about. So I think that's my biggest thing. It's like, over the, the course of time prior to Philly Voice, you just sort of figure what your niche is, what you're good at. And for me, the guiding light the whole time has been, you know, I want to do something that I feel passionate about, that I have fun doing. Or otherwise, like to your point, yeah, the money in this business, unless you're at the top end, is not as good as in like, you know, regular fields like finance and business and, and what have you. But the payoff for me is that I get to go watch basketball games for free and travel and see, you know, be in these environments in Boston and New York and these different cities that, you know, people are paying tons and tons of money just to be there. And so it's, it's an experience that I, I get a lot out of and, you know, it's rewarding now on the other side of, you know, obscurity where, I'll, people will come up to me and I'm sure you deal with this a lot, Mike, they tell you how, how much they love your work and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's, that has been a great reward for me after, you know, the years and years of toiling and uh, 
relative obscurity on the internet. Uh, I got to say, having been through the old school way and uh, got my way through newspapers, there was nothing more gratifying than than writing a story that you're really proud of, knowing that people were going to read what you had to say. Uh, and uh, all the years I've sports talk of uh, uh, success I've had, I always go back to those inquiry days where I had the most satisfaction. Uh, and you're doing a fantastic job. So here's the last question for Kyle Newbeck, who covers the Sixers for the Philly Voice. Um, the ultimate question is if they lose this series and go out in the second round again, what happens? Because everybody's asking the same question. Where do they go from there? I think a lot happens. You know, I, I think basically everything is on the table at that point. You know, the worst kept secret in the league is that it seems to me that if they don't win this series, then James Harden already has a, a wandering eye, maybe elsewhere, maybe back to Houston. And, you know, I know that all Harden, I think, will be a controversial subject for the fan base in the offseason because you say, well, how much are you really willing to pay this guy going into his late 30s? And how, can you count on him to be, you know, he goes from 45 point scorer to a guy playing a terrible game two in, in the span of two nights? And, you know, are you going to invest a max type deal on this guy to keep him here? Well, the other side of that is, if he leaves, they have no mechanism to replace him, essentially. And, and any trade to try to deal with the absence that he would leave is going to get rid of somebody like a Tyrese Maxey to make the value happen for the other team. And so they don't have a ton of recourse to uh, to replace him. And then, of course, the coaching thing, I think, is probably on the mind of, of more Sixers fans. I personally think that this has been Doc's best year as the coach of the Sixers. I think he's made more aggressive adjustments. I think he's been more flexible in terms of playing young guys. And if a guy doesn't have it, he's pulled and we give somebody else a chance. But, you know, there are only so many things you can change. They're certainly not going to change the uh, the superstar who just won the MVP because, you know, that's he's just locked into place basically until he decides he doesn't want to be here anymore if that day ever comes. And so I think the big things are, you know, watch what happens with Harden watch what happens with Doc, and then the rest, it's all going to depend on value they can get back and potential trades. All right, so do you feel that it will be um, add to what they have and try again, uh, or significant changes where Harden goes and the coach could possibly go? I I think it's probably significant changes where it could be two of the, the two main guys are out, and then it really will depend on where Joel is at. If Joel is willing to go through more of like a retool year and maybe they just give Tyrese Maxey the reins, they say he's probably going to get a big money extension in the off season. Say, Hey, Tyrese going to be the main ball handler. When Ben was out the year prior up until James arrived, they were pretty good. They weren't a contender, but they were okay. You see how that works. You let Tyrese develop and, Tobias's contract comes off the books a year later and you now you see what you can do from there as the new CBA kicks in and the salary cap is going to jump pretty significantly. But it really is all about, you know, how does the big fella feel about everything? Yeah. Because if he walks into that front office and they're saying, well, we're not going to pay James, but we don't really have an ability to replace anyone and he's pissed off about it. That's the one guy in the organization you absolutely cannot afford to make angry with your moves. So yeah. it's and, uh, and, it, it always revolves around that guy. And, and also a gap year would kill this fan base. Oh, yeah, it's my gonna God. It's going to go through a gap year. 
Uh, Kyle, listen, this has been a, a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. I know you're a busy man. Um, you, you got a sense for Friday? Win? Loss? I have, my sense is that it is going to be a madhouse <laughs> at the Wells Fargo Center. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I love these, you know, for road games too, being in these hostile environments for, you know, the opposing team. They're just, it, there's nothing like it in sports. And so I'm, I'm very excited to see what kind of game we get because it's, it is all on the line these next two games. Kyle, thanks. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. It's the Mike Mussinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, much thanks to Kyle Newbeck for coming on the program. Give us his insights on the Sixers and Celtics series. Can the Sixers get to the NBA Finals? Well, at this point, I just don't know. I wish I could be a little more optimistic. Uh, Let's move on to Mike Unleashed. Uh, Mike Unleashed is a little offbeat today. Well, first of all, let's let's go back to the game last night as we were all watching the game, and a drone camera was was zipping all around a TD uh, Bank Boston Garden, and uh, I, I had never seen that before. I, I, I listen. I guess you can use all the technology you want. You get the drone camera, but a drone is flying through an arena like that. Is that not distracting? Like it's one thing to have a a, a camera on a wire. Uh, during a football game because you know, you're in a you know, different uh, uh, venue and uh, you, uh, uh, you know, it's more spacious and a whole bit. But it, w- did you not find that uh, disconcerting there? Uh, only no, only because these um, these drone camera operators like they are phenomenal. Like, some of them that do this type of work are really good. They're really technical. Like you've seen a lot of those videos, a lot of teams do this in the various sports. When they have a newer facility, well, they'll just fly the drone through the whole facility, and it's like a an eight minute video of showing everything on the complex. People are working, people are just going about their business, and the things like zipping like under desks between people's legs. It's going around a guy's head while he's having a, a cup of coffee. Like these drone operators are really technical and really good. So I, you know. There's always human error and operator error, but that's not what I asked you. I, I, I listen. I'm sure they're quite good. That's not really the point. The, the point player, is, was I, it distracting to the, well, audience the audience watching it? They think they like it. I didn't. I didn't like it that much. It was totally distracting to me as I'm watching the TV screen. I, I don't know how the people inside the arena felt about it, but it was distracting to me to the point where I thought my screen was fuzzy or something. I think it was dirt got <laughs> yeah, inside my screen. It's a different connection too. It's an it's an additional over the air connection, so you're losing a little bit of quality. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not so sure we need the drone, but but anyway, uh, I'm sure it's going to be back. It might be there at the Wells Fargo Center, and if it's at the Wells Fargo Center, somebody's going to shoot it out of the air. I guarantee you, or somebody's going to throw a hot dog at it. And disable it. Someone's, someone's coming and packing with a uh, a flare gun to take that thing out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, might, it might be one of those T-shirt shooters that fires the thing in there and knocks the drone out. Uh, all right. So uh, let's talk more about the NBA series. You know, the hottest ticket in town has become the Knicks. The Knicks are viable once again, right? So all these celebrities are flooding MSG with requests. And they're all getting first row tickets. Now, when I see these celebrities horn in on it, and I'll give you an example. Last night was Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he brought Sauce Gardner to the game, his new teammate for the New York Jets, and they were sitting next to Jessica Alba. So Aaron Rodgers goes, hey, man, we're going to be sitting next to Jessica Alba. Sauce Gardner didn't know who Jessica Alba was, uh, but she looked good, Lance. She never ages, that girl. 
She looks fantastic. So Chris Rock was there. Chappelle was there. Uh, Turtle from Entourage was there. Uh, Fed. Uh, Roger Federer was in the building. Carmelo Anthony. All these ex-Knicks. Uh, Patrick Ewing. I saw got a seat. John Starks. All these people had... Uh, ben Stiller, uh, Fat Joe, CC Sabathia, Michael J. Fox, John Stewart. Uh, who gives up those tickets? Because those tickets are pricey tickets. They are, uh, you know, uh, you pay a lot of money for those tickets. Those season ticket holders. So what is the what does the Garden do? Do they buy out the season ticket holder to to make room for a celebrity? How's that work? They, they got to be getting an extraordinary amount of money for those seats, right? I mean, we, you and I have sat at those first row seats. You sit there more than me, obviously, but like their face value for a, for a game in uh, October, they're three, four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars a seat, maybe more now. Who knows? Five hundred dollars a seat? What are you uh, tripping? And twenty five hundred dollars at, at the Wells well, Fargo yeah, Center? Yeah, well, I guess I haven't sat in those these, yet. These <laughs> the Madison Square Garden have to be ten to twenty thousand dollars a seat. So my question is, are the celebrities paying for them or no. for goodwill? Do they give these celebrities the seats and the, and Madison Square Garden picks up the tab for that? Yeah, I th- there's no way that they're making these celebrities pay for the tickets, right? They want them there. They want those people. It's interesting I, because the celebrities have the money to pay for the tickets and they're the ones that are probably getting comped. Yeah, I don't know. James Dolan uh, life, man. is handling this thing, but I assume James Dolan wants the celebrities there. All right. So that's yeah, the hottest yeah. ticket in town. Uh, right now, all right. A couple of uh, uh, of TV things that I, I've been watching. Uh, first of all, I uh, started to watch the John Mulaney stand-up special. Now, uh, of course, you know all the the controversy he's been in with the, the rehab and, and the drugs and the whole thing. His whole act was about that, uh, and I I, I I found myself being very uncomfortable with it. It, it like it wasn't. A stand-up. It was like uh, an expose, and he tried to make it funny, uh, his drug problem funny, and he talked about the intervention that he and all, all his comedic friends. The intervention. I, I don't know. Is is that um, is that uh, something that he should have done? Is, is that worthy of a ticket to watch John Mulaney speak about that part of his life? I, well, we got to understand how a comedian works, right? So he's let's just say he's done his last hour special, which he obviously had when he went into rehab. He comes out of rehab. He's a new new man, thankfully. He's got to start writing his next hour. Now, what's in your head? The last six months of your life has been rehab. You were a drug addict. You went through this horrible experience in your life, and you came out on the other end like Andy Dufresne, swam through 300 miles of shit, three miles of shit, and came out clean. So that's what's in his mind. And guess what? Everybody that is a fan of his, and I'm certainly one, I think he's a tremendous stand-up comic, really wanted to hear that story. Really wanted to know what he went through and how bad it really was. I agree with you, though, because I did watch it the other night. There were a lot of moments that, that I was uncomfortable as well. It's a little bit different style from his normal stand-up. It's, it, that's how he does his his hours, he wraps them up like Chappelle. He starts with something. He comes back around and ends with basically a topic that he, he started with. Um, but it wasn't as quirky. It was a little more serious at times. There was an, there's an 11-year-old kid in the audience that he kind of brings into the show a little bit, realizing the fact of what his material is going to be like for the next hour and 20 minutes. And then <laughs> I don't know if a fifth grader should really be in that class or be in that um, – in that the theater, but nevertheless, 
it was a little bit different than what you normally get from Mulaney, but that's what everybody wanted to hear from him right now. Uh, all right. Well, wh- whatever. I, you know, I think he's lost me, frankly. Uh, but uh, in, in any in any event, uh, there's another TV show that I, I got good acclaim, and it was ranked number one on Netflix, a list of shows for a while. It's called Beef. Have you seen this show? No, I have not. All right. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out for the people that have seen Beef, and I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, Mike at MikeMiss.com. I don't know whether this show is good or bad. It's a dark kind of comedy type of theme to it, but it involves a, a road rage incident where the two people were involved in the road rage then uh, try to get back at each other like at every turn. Uh, and it's really it's kind of sadistic and it's it's an Asian theme show. Uh, and a lot of Korean Americans are looking at it relating to the, the trials and tribulations that these Asian people uh, have gone through in growing up. So it's got that culture uh, uh, hang with it. But it's kind of disturbing uh, that these two people, it's a man and a woman trying to get back at each other for this road rage incident. Uh, and they, they just can't stop themselves. They One tries to outdo the other. So I'd be curious to know, I'm four episodes in now, four or five, and I don't know whether it's good or not. I know it's slipping on the uh, Netflix rating system. So I would love to hear from people who are watching this show called Beef and let me know whether you're liking it or not. Uh, all right. And then we uh, end Mike Unleashed with a news story of sorts. Someone's dumping pasta. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, 500 pounds worth of pasta. Uh, I'm talking about cooked pasta and all kinds of cooked pasta. I'm talking spaghetti, ziti, uh, linguine, elbow macaroni. 500 pounds of pasta was dumped along a creek bed near Veterans Park in Old Bridge, New Jersey, which is kind of North Jersey area. Uh, and, and and most of it is is sauced up. Uh, so nobody knows who did this. I, I assume it was a restaurant, but who would have that much pasta left over uh, that, that you wouldn't just put it in the trash and you have to dump it o- on a riverbed? Uh, I, I don't know what the possibilities of this are. Darren? <laughs> Dude, that's the worst. See, you, see what I, you see what I did there? I know you did there. I You know, it's Middlesex County, so it's like Central Jersey. Um I, I can only think of maybe there was a benefit or a something that, that fell through at last minute and they had all this food. And instead of maybe going to a homeless shelter, they said, just get rid of it. I don't it's it's bizarre. First of all, I'm, an, I'm, I'm a little I'm a little angry at this. I'm a little offended. Mike. That's a lot of pasta. That's good pasta. Especially if it's like a DiCecco. You know, if that's DiCecco pasta it's, and they it's, throw it out in the woods, I'm going to be pissed. It's San Giorgio, eh, right. It's only a dollar and a half a box. But yeah. DiCecco, don't get rid of DiCecco. Don't throw that in, in, in the woods. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a Fuzili story for sure. But uh, <laughs> they say they say apparently the lead suspect, I don't know who it is, but they have a suspect. His name is uh, his name is Al Dente. Uh, is a suspect they're, they're looking for, right? Getting worse. So, and and apparently people are suggesting that once they find these perpetrators, they need to send them to the state penny penitentiary. All right, that's enough of that fuziliness. Shut it down. All right, that's Mike Unleashed for today. Time for three questions for Mikey Miss. What do you got? Uh, all right, three questions. Uh, for Mikey Miss, big uh, big day this Saturday if you're a horse racing fan. It is the Kentucky Derby, the start of the Triple Crown. 
Mike, what's a bigger day in sports? Sunday at the Masters or Kentucky Derby Day? Oh, the Kentucky Derby by far. By far the Kentucky Derby. I've been to both events, and I love them both. The Masters is a special place, but there is nothing like the Kentucky Derby. Uh, You get there early. The race is all day. People are all dressed up. You got the mint juleps. They got the cigar rollers. It is a tremendously fun experience. And uh, I actually, uh, one of my, my great adventures happened at the Kentucky Derby where I accidentally had the winner of the Kentucky Derby. Now, let me set the scene for this. Uh, I go to Kentucky Derby, and uh, I, I I get to the first race at 12 noon. Now, it was blazing hot that day, so you're starting to drink mint juleps all day in the hot sun. You are banged out by the time the Kentucky Derby race comes on, which is like about 6.30, right? So uh, I happened to be working in newspapers at the time, and I saw a horse, and his name was Editor's Note. And I'm going – and I'm – believe me, I am – completely wasted i've got five hundred dollars left in my pocket i go to the window i put the five hundred dollars on editor's note to win um i go back the race happens editor's notes at the top of the stretch looking really good i'm going oh my god look at this i have 500 i put on it and it fades and the a horse called grindstone wins the race so I go, oh, damn. And I throw down my ticket. And the guy next to me, I had I had a box at the finish line. I was dating a young lady at the time who worked for Seagram's. And they had a box right at the finish line, like right on the track. So I throw my ticket down. The guy in the box goes, hey, dude, he goes, you won the race. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, Grindstone ran as an entry with editor's note. They were two Lucas horses out of the same stable. So one was one and one was 1A. So accidentally, I won the race with Grindstone. Oh, my God. What did you cash for? I go back to the window. That's a great story. I, I, I made like $5,500. And uh, I had, you know, the tax men were there. I had to sign all the forms. <laughs> That's great. It was like, uh, you know, now, hey, listen, I couldn't pick a, I couldn't pick the right winner, but I did pick the did, winner. Did you ever see the movie Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfuss? Yeah. It is a great movie. It's a little-known sports movie. If you like horse racing, if you like just a guy down on his luck having a spectacular day, it's funny. Let It Ride with Richard, with Richard Dreyfuss. Great. It's a great Yeah, movie. well, and, and that was a lucky day, but it was a fun day. Cause the that's awesome. Day was a lot of fun. All right, oh, question two. All right, question two. Uh, when we were down in Clearwater, um, I started watching on the plane in the hotel, whatever, the documentary Full Swing on Netflix. It's about the PGA Tour. Um, I finally finished it uh, in the last day or two. Give me your what is your favorite sports doc? Do you have one like people are looking for a sports documentary to watch? Give them give them one. I I liked I watched Full Swing. I I liked it. It wasn't as in depth as uh, and I was kind of. uh, it made me roll my eyes when um, Brett, uh, Brooks Kepka and his girlfriend with her legs splayed all over the place, that high-maintenance <laughs> Jenna Sims. I, I felt actually sorry for Brooks. He's got to keep her uh, uh, happy. Uh, but uh, uh, I, there's a documentary out right now called Reggie. It's about Reggie Jackson. It's on Amazon Prime. And uh, I, I think you'll like it if you want it. He, Reggie Jackson was like my one of my first uh, uh, idols as a baseball player. I just love when he came up with the Oakland A's, that sleek, uh, young Reggie swatting home runs as a rookie for the Oakland A's. I was a big Oakland A's fan. So 
Uh, I, you know, there's so much drama with Reggie and then when he got to the Yankees and all that stuff. So I, I thought it was really good. I think I haven't was. seen it. I'll check that out. Uh, if you haven't seen the Nolan Ryan one, it was, it's like chasing Nolan or, or yeah, I, I watched that one. Also. I thought it was pretty good. It's not yeah. as good as the Reggie one. Okay. There you go. That's question number two. Question number three. Uh, Mike, do you know what the significance of today is? It's May the 4th. This is not your third question. I just want to know ahead of time. Do you know the significance? No, of I do not. Okay. I do not. You and I have been friends and colleagues for the better part of 30 years. I don't think at any point you and I have had a, a discussion about Star Wars. So today is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Just oh. tell me one thing about Star Wars. Do you know, are you a Star Wars guy at all? Is there no. anything you can tell me about Star Wars? No. <laughs> no this one, I watched a couple of them, but it, it's not my thing. It's just not my thing. It's the answer it, it, I thought it, I was going to get. But. Yeah, I, Harrison Ford in in the old day, I thought it was the uh, Molly amusing as the pilot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you had the, the, the Wookiee. And Chewbacca? Chewy? Yeah, Chewbacca, Chewy. Yeah, I mean, that was all I mean, that, Then it lost me. That's all. I'm not a Star Wars guy. Okay, there you go. That's three. That's the, fourth, three. The, the fourth is definitely not with me. No, it is not with you. I watched them when I was a kid, all of them. Uh, well, the, the original three, I should say. And I've watched the new ones uh, with my kids. Um, and I, I think the, the Mandalorian is really the only thing I get into these days. It's a pretty good show on Disney+. Plus. That is three questions for Mikey Miss. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, anyway, that's uh, that'll close it down for today. Thanks to Kyle Newbeck for joining us. Uh, I want to alert the people that my my website, MikeMiss.com. Check it out. It's going to be redesigned if it's not already. Uh, all kinds of things you can get to me through the website and uh, have access to uh, the, the Natalie Winery. There's a great event that, this weekend. I will be at Natalie Winery this weekend. There's a great May event that's going on Saturdays, a wine tasting event. So anybody that is close to or wants to take a ride down the Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey, Jersey, Natalie Vineyards. Uh, I will be there hanging out. Great event. Should have a lo- uh, be a lot of fun. Darren, you want to come down? What are you doing Saturday? Why don't you come down? I got a two o'clock softball game to coach. What time uh, is that going on later in the day? Can I come down here? Nah, the it'll be just during the day. You probably won't be able to make it down there. Yeah, we'll see. You never know. Uh, you'll miss. You'll miss a good time, but others won't get down to Natalie Vineyard this this Saturday. My Saturdays yeah, are all softball. Check out the website MikeMiss.com. Check me out on Twitter MikeMiss25. And again, you can email me, Mike, at MikeMiss.com. All right, Sixers, we'll have another little special uh, post-game flash for you after the Sixers game on Friday night. So check that out. We'll be following the Sixers after every game here with a mini podcast. So uh, uh, don't forget about uh, all that. We're following this series from uh, from rim to floor or from uh, drone to regular camera, whatever the case may be. Have a great rest of the uh, day, and we will talk to you this weekend. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.